there, folks. My name is Emily. And I'm Hope. And we are Oh My Word, a podcast where Elton and I discuss books, movies, musicals, TV shows, trends in fiction, etc., so that you are a more informed consumer of media. Yes, and to help with the informing, we have a pearl clutching scale uh, for violence, language, and romance on a scale of zero to four. Zero being very not good. I mean, zero being very good. My bad. <laughs> zero being very good and four being very not good. See, everything is opposite. My tongue is twisting over the words. We were almost going to say something else, but it's such a perfect segue. Can I, can I please use the segue? <laughs> sure. Yes! <Go> <laughs> Tongue is twisting over the words so you don't even know what I'm saying. And maybe there's a way to straighten out the language. Just like a certain uh, professor of phonetics who's kind of a snobbish. And we meet him in My Fair Lady. See, it works. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, sort of works. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically, My Fair Lady, if you don't know what it is, then I don't know which rock you've been living under because our rock is taken. So <laughs> and you wouldn't know about it. We live in a bunker. We stay under here and we still know about My Fair Lady. So really, there's no excuse for you. Right. But see, what we did is that we doubled it because we live in a basement because, you know, basements are for everyone and not just for, you know, single angry white men. Also, we live in a bunker because safety first. And also, we can't give a lot of details, but there may or may not be a massive rock over our location because that way we can also live under a rock. Right. We also have a cave that we've dug out, so we can live in a cave. <laughs> it's very cool, and the temperature stays the same throughout the year. That's right. So there are some bonuses, and we don't get tanned, which means we're not a danger for getting skin cancer. Exactly. And and our refrigeration, like the wine cellar is fantastic because, because of the temperatures. And our icebox works great, so we're not giving it all. And... <laughs> We don't have to put up with people who don't return their shopping carts to either the front of the store or one of the helpfully placed shopping cart returns in the middle of the parking lot and just leave their shopping carts randomly taking up spots. We don't have to put up with people like that when we live in a bunker. So right. we are winning at life. And we've still heard about My Fair Lady. So <laughs> there's really nothing here that's bad. But even with all that, we're still going to talk about My Fair Lady. <laughs> well, of course. Obviously. So My Fair Lady, um, the musical of it is was by Lerner and Lowe, and it's based off of a George Bernard Shaw play called Pygmalion. It's also based off of the Greek myth about Pygmalion. Isn't that also like the Pygmalion effect, right? When you set expectations for someone, then they meet those expectations for good or for not good. Isn't that what the Pygmalion effect is? So that probably comes originally from the myth, would be my guess. Right. So there's this Greek myth about... Pygmalion, and then George Bernard Shaw wrote a play using that myth, and then Lerner and Lowe based their musical off the play, so it was all building. Right. So in the movie, which, oh, when the movie came out? The movie came out in 64. Right. 1964. Okay, right. So the movie came out in 64. That ha- that's got Audrey Hepburn, um, Rex Harrison, and Stanley Holloway. Rex Harrison and Stanley Holloway were, um, were also in the stage version, the Broadway run of it, but there, the, the female was Julie Andrews, not Audrey Hepburn. And, uh, Emily, you want to tell us why Julie Andrews is not in the film version of My Fair Lady? So Julie Andrews, it's hard to believe, but she was actually not a big name yet when they were casting for My Fair Lady, the film version. So the directors decided to go with Audrey Hepburn, who was a much bigger name, thinking that that would 
sell better. And then, of course, Julie Andrews that same year got the role of Mary Poppins and won the Oscar for it. So that set her career to its heights and what we know it as today. I mean, most people, I think, when they think of Julie Andrews, think of Mary Poppins, because that's really how she got her fame start. Even though before uh, My Fair Lady, she was in Cinderella, the Rodgers and Hammerstein version. She was also, she played Guinevere in Camelot on Broadway. Same thing happened to her. She didn't get the movie role. And I, it might have been for the same kind of reason that she wasn't really known yet, which, you know, that happens like Broadway stars aren't necessarily as well known as movie stars. But I did read that Julie Andrews didn't bear any ill will towards Audrey Hepburn, because like it wasn't her fault. You know, it wasn't Audrey Hepburn who said, I'm taking your role. It was just the director wouldn't do it. And then Rex Harrison won the Oscar for Best Actor. And he thanked both Julie Andrews and Audrey Hepburn in his speech. So she she still got her recognition. And I don't think Julie Andrews is unknown these days. So I think it all worked out in the end. It's also sad of music people know Julie Andrews from. It's really... Oh, right. Of course. Rex Harrison won because he got to act with Audrey Hepburn and with Julie Andrews. So That's true. Yeah, what is a real winner. Yeah. Well, it's also... It, it happens, you know, Broadway to film or film to TV, TV to, you know, once people sort of have a name in one of the arenas almost, it's not like, oh, an actor, okay, anything. It doesn't, some people make it go, you know, back and forth and some people just don't. Sometimes they'll take a big movie, a film star and stick them in a Broadway play to, to boost the play, right? But then right. sometimes, you know, whatever. Anyways. The- and, and in the past, it was even more isolated, siloed, because the type of acting that was required was more different. And also in the past... TV was thought of as like yeah. low brow movies, whereas today, like some of the best writing is on TV. So there's more overlap, but it used to be different. So anyway, that's just a little bit of fun background. And I mean, Julie Andrews is like, I know I talk about Sutton Foster all the time <laughs> because she's great, but Julie Andrews is, she's, she's the goat for me in terms of like musical theater. I mean, you just, you, there are other great Broadway divas, and I guess you can't really rank them, but Julie Andrews just... Well, she's just her own, like, class. Her. Just as a, like... Yes, like, exactly. Just all of her is just... She's just... There's, there's one Julie Andrews. Like, that's it. Dame Julie Andrews. <laughs> that's right. Um, anyways, the story's about how you have this this snobby phonetics professor thinks um, Audrey Hepburn is playing... Or, you know, the girl, Eliza Doolittle is this very crew-speaking group in the slums of, like, you know, of London... Is it officially London? She's a flower girl, so yeah. she can't. She doesn't speak straight. Her Cockney accent, well, you know, it's all over the place. So it's kind of a bet that he has that oh, I'm going to turn her into a respectable, a respectable woman by teaching her how to speak properly. Basically, it's the bet that he's going to remake her. It's almost like the origin story for all the teen films that came afterwards about how the nerdy girl was going to get the hot guy, right? If we just dress her up correctly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're officially like retellings it, but it's kind of like what it is. Like oh, if I teach her to speak yeah, yeah. correctly, I'll get her to dress correctly, whatever, and I'll be able to pass her off in high society. Which, you know, some attempts go better than others, like, uh, you know, the, uh, the Ascot Gavad, the race thing, right? That's what it's called. No, what's it called? Yes. Yeah. That song, you have to really appreciate, like, the context of it to appreciate the song. Because otherwise, you, you won't, you'll just think it's a dumb song. But you have to get right. what's going on in that song to realize that, like, oh, what a thrilling race this is. And it's just... That one, you have, like, some Broadway songs you can just listen to. That one, you have to see. Because yeah. when you see it, it makes perfect sense what's going on, and it's hilarious. Yes, the whole the whole musical actually is hilarious, which is interesting because sometimes with old musicals, you know, people point to things that are like problematic. I was listening to 
the Broadway channel on satellite radio recently. Yes, we do get satellite down in the bunker. We're very hooked up down here. And the uh, DJ was talking about uh, the opening song, which is Why Can't the English Learn to Speak, which is hilarious. And it's a commentary on Professor Higgins, right, and his own snobbishness. But it's also a commentary on the educational system and how people are viewed based solely on the way they speak. You know, it, it's meant to be social commentary, and it's also meant to be amusing. But the the DJ just said, oh, Henry Higgins is such a snob, but he makes a grammatical error in this song. And I was like, okay, first of all, he's not a real character. So the <laughs> song, like, I think the grammatical error is so, I can't remember what it is now, but it's so that it rhymes. I was like, okay, oh, okay. Lerner and Lowe took a little bit of creative license here, but also you have now missed the whole point of the song. Like the whole point of the song is commentary and he's like, it's a joke on himself too. You know, like all of his songs, um, why can't a woman be more like a man? <laughs> like that's a commentary on him, right? Cause he's talking about, I'm an easygoing man. I never get angry and he gets angry all the time. He's not easygoing at all. And he's talking about why can't women be more like him? But on the face of it, it could sound to people archaic, but that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Right, like he's he's the butt of his own jokes in a way. We do have something like that because when someone speaks a lot of slang or um, ebonics or whatever we're mm-hmm. calling it these days, you know, so you do kind of have this this moment of like, you know, why don't you speak clearly or why don't you whatever? Like, or if sometimes you know, black people sometimes get it that if they do, if they're speaking just they're speaking English, right? They're speaking regularly, but they're not speaking the ebonics. It's like, what are you sell out? How come you're not speaking the ebonics? So whatever it is, so it is. It's just you see there are like cultural. Um, there's attachments to it and there, there are notions about it or you know there, are, there is an outlook that's affected by the way people speak right and right there is something that you know teaching either kids to speak properly or whatever people who do speak properly or people are very well spoken I don't mean like just speak properly but like people are very well spoken have a very extensive vocabulary like there's something about them that's more impressive when they try to speak right it might not necessarily be relatable as far as like someone who's going to go on the streets and have a conversation with people, but if someone is making like a speech, right? You know, you want them to get up there and have this like amazing vocabulary and like be this great orator who can really use words, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what you expect, right? It's a different angle, I guess, than someone who just goes up and just you know could speak to, from the heart and they might bungle a lot of what they're saying. But it's you're focusing more on the message, obviously, than the speech. That's it's going to affect you in a different way. But there is something about someone who can speak well. Right. And express themselves well. Yeah. Well, if you think of our, not our current president, but our three most recent presidents before that, what people really liked about Obama was, or one of the things that they admired about him was how well he spoke, whereas people gave George W. Bush a hard time because he had that Southern drawl and some words were hard for him to pronounce. And of course, Trump, people gave him a hard time too. And it's, you know, a drawl. I mean, you grow up where you grow up, right? right? You're going to have a certain accent. But people make assumptions about that, just like they did with Eliza, right? That they make assumptions just because she's a flower, because she doesn't speak well. And because, I mean, she's she's also dirty when we see her the first time, you know. But people make these assumptions about the kind of person she is, but they're just making it based on a very limited uh, amount of knowledge, right? But I wonder if, like, Pretty Woman is also kind of supposed to be like this. You know, like the hooker with the heart of gold sort of thing. So it's like, you know, those days, they wouldn't have shown a hooker on stage like that. Actually, it's not necessarily right. true. They have gypsy or like you have whatever, but they wouldn't have shown, they wouldn't have shown that, but it's like the low class girl, the quote unquote lower class girl, lower class, whatever. 
unpolished and imperfect. And also when you polish her up, that she's a sparkling diamond, you know, past in high society. So it's probably all related. Yeah. Even if it's indirectly. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, violence is zero. Language is a one. Romance is a one, which is all good. There's something also that they have when Eliza goes back, Eliza do a little after she's, you know, she's taken, she's being turned to, you know, she's being turned into a lady and she goes back and then her father is going on and on about how her mother now wants to marry him. So it like right, you have I'm getting married in the morning song. And it's like, she wants right. to make an honest man out of me. You know, like, what is it? Like, now that you're famous, now I have to marry her kind of thing. Like, what have you done? You've ruined everything. Which, okay, lots of stuff, but they don't ever specifically say the indication then would be, I guess, that she's born out of wedlock. And they don't say it. So that's very much like an old film thing. Even though the law was changing in the 60s. But that's very much an old film um, an old film thing where they'll make references without explicitly saying things. Whereas these days, everything has to be like, everything has to be shown. You know, they probably would have shown us the scene right. when Eliza was born out of wedlock in the films made these days. But then it's just kind of like, oh, everyone's singing, I'm getting married in the morning. And I was thinking like, wait a second. <laughs> what do you mean? Like he's not married to the mother. Or It seems to be. We, we don't actually meet the mother, I don't think, do we? I don't think we actually see her. No. Right. Yeah, that's a feature of older films. Whatever, they'll make, you know, even, uh, we'll call it just mature references just to, like, encompass the whole category of um, all that kind of stuff that today they just show up very explicitly and then it was just, you know, they drop the line and you either got it or you didn't get it kind of thing. Right. Like, the his other song with a little bit of luck and he's talking about man made women to marry, but with a little bit of luck you can... Basically, you can have the sex without having to get hooked, you know, and he also talks about drinking and these other things, but it's not, first of all, it's not said in those words with little, it's what, with a little bit of luck, you can something and not get hooked, but it's, first of all, with his thick accent, you can't understand what he's saying <laughs> anyway, but second of all, like, as a, as an adult, you are picking up on it, but from our perspective, you know, we're talking about clean stuff, yes, for adults, but also, you know, for younger audiences, if you show this movie to a, an eight-year-old, let's say, even a five-year-old, they're seeing a guy with a funny accent doing a little bit of tap dance. They're not on, the lyrics are going right over the head because they are subtle and it's not a big deal. Whereas again, with, with a lot of newer movies, things are not subtle. So you can't show them to a younger audience because they'll hear a word and they'll say, Oh, mommy, what's that? Whereas in this one, it, it's different. Yeah. Well, is it better than if they walk around with a little bit of bloom and luck singing that? Like an eight-year-old goes around singing that without knowing what they're singing. So does that make it better or worse if an eight-year-old is singing that song? There's also the romance of this is very, very subtle. Even also with Higgins and Eliza and that last scene, at least the film version for sure, where it's like, wait a second, they are going to get married again? They don't get married? Like, what just happened over here? Like, she left, she came back, whatever. There's, there's a lot of that... Because also, if it would have been a film made today, right. it would have ended with them in bed together. You know, it's, it's or at least a big kiss. Yeah. But I don't think there's even a big kiss, right? They just are. No, he's just wearing the devil on my slippers. Yeah. Yes, which is an indication. Prob. First of all, they are probably going to get married. They're not just going to live together. Just. But also, it is a little bit open ended. Yeah. In terms of then, it's open ended enough that clearly they need each other, but maybe. You know, it's going to be some sort of working relationship. I mean, it's probably going to be romantic, but that's why that's why the romance gets a one because they don't really have anything. And then the one guy who does like Eliza, Freddie, he sings some songs to her. But again, they're not like sneaking into corners and making out with each other. There's no nothing physical that happens in that sense. Right. 
Uh, you also have, um, just for some of the background, I, th- I think Audrey Hepburn, they ended up dubbing her singing. Right. So you have the Most song. Most of her singing, not all of it. Right. So one of them that they did was just Wade Henry, Henry Iggins. And she's like crying. She's like, she's very emotional in that song. It was a lot of like force and anger. But I think she had found out about it right around that song. So it like came out awesome, which you actually had to go up to perform that song. But you found out that some of her songs are going to be dubbed. It's something, there's some, there's some story like that. that who knows if it's true, but it could be. <laughs> well, I was reading that most of, or a lot of her songs were dubbed because she, so just you wait, Henry Higgins, she sang, and then she sang individual lines in other songs, but they wouldn't transpose the music. Apparently, like, she's actually a good singer, but she's uh, more of an alto or like a, a mezzo-soprano, and they wouldn't transpose the music which originally was Julie Andrews, who's got the most beautiful soprano ever, and she sings like an angel, and they wouldn't change it for her, so instead they had her dubbed, which is an interesting choice, but that's, for whatever reason, that's what they decided. Apparently, um, Freddie Einsford Hill was also dubbed. But somehow Rex Harrison, who does not sing <laughs> at all, I, I was reading, again, you know, you read on IMDb all these, like, trivia, so how true they are. Who knows? But what is true is that Rex Harrison talk sings all of his songs and supposedly he had extensive vocal training for the movie and he still couldn't get it. Now it works. Like it totally works for his character. And you, I've heard versions like newer Broadway recordings of My Fair Lady where the songs are actually sung, like Henry Higgins songs, and they sound so wrong. <laughs> like it just, it works with him saying them, but it's interesting that they decided to dub these two people who could sing, but they just wanted, you know, a slightly different voice or a different key. Whereas the one guy who really couldn't sing, they just let him do his thing. You know, people, they just make decisions. <laughs> they don't. They don't always ask us about the decision making. No, language also gets along because it's got some like English like cursing in it. Right. Not too terrible. It's also the '60s. They didn't push the limits totally with this kind of stuff aimed at family. You know, family friendly stuff. Well, it's still early 60s, 1964. So, you know, the 60s did change things, but sort of after the British invasion musically, and then, you know, you start thinking like 66, 67, but like before 65 and before, you can still be like kind of good. After that, everything really went haywire culturally. Basically. But yeah, I think, I think, I think the biggest thing about My Fair Lady, I mean, first of all, it's just a fantastic cast and the costumes are exquisite and it's, it's a good adaptation, I think, from the stage to the screen. I've seen both. I don't remember as detailed the stage version because it's now been a couple of years since I've seen it. The The big thing is, yes, there's some mature. I mean, saying mature themes is really stretching. It's not like we're watching Rent or Avenue Q. There just happen to be like a few references because life has real mature things in it, right? Like, Well, that's for adults. We're not, they're, right. They are adults. Everyone. They are adults. Yeah. They're not kids. But you can watch this. You know, we're, we're here trying to promote clean stuff. I know I saw this as a little kid. My parents, who were so strict, had no problem showing me this musical because if there's anything, and I mean, this is really tame compared to something like Gypsy, right? Like Gypsy I saw when I was a little bit older because yeah. it is more mature themes. Yeah. But this, okay, it has one or two references because they are adults and Adults talk about real things, but it's so subtle, you wouldn't pick up on it. And the main point of the story is not that, right? That's not the focus of the story. It happens to be mentioned by her father, who's anyway kind of a schlub. So <laughs> it's 
It's totally 100% clean. Like if anyone asks me, can I show this to my kid? I don't think there's an age at which I would say, don't show this to your kid. Right. It's more if the kid will, is at an age to appreciate or not, probably. Right. And then you force them to appreciate it because it's fantastic. <laughs> and if you don't appreciate, first of all, Lerner and Lowe are, all of their musicals, I shouldn't say all of their musicals, but their, their music and their characters are phenomenal and their lyrics are clever. And it's Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison. And, and why would you not? Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, I, I, I felt like that was a mic drop moment. There's really nothing else to say. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, great. Well, then I guess y'all just have to wait uh, until next week. So thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Cheers, people. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Oh My Word podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you always get the latest episode and please leave us a rating and a review. And please share the show with your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast. There we post episode updates, our ratings for each book, and also our personal reading recommendations. Music for the show is by Tim Burke. Editor is Emily Yaffe. We'll see you next week.